0: A podcast one production. I'm automotive commentator and journalist Greg Rust and this is Rusty's Garage. In this episode, I'm in Sydney at the home of Podcast One. Normally, I'm on the road talking to most of my guests, but today's has spent plenty of time here entertaining listeners from purpose-built studios just like this one. But nowadays, Merrick Watts is spending more time back on the road, where it all began with stand-up comedy. His quick wits and genuine nature are matched by a proper love of cars, bikes, as well as the odd resto project he's bought over a long lunch. Mess is proud of his roots and loves to share the yarn about growing up in the same place as some great Aussie racers. Merrick, Watts, hello? Pleasure to be here. How did you get here today? What did you drive? What did you ride? I came in
1: the car today only because it was raining. Otherwise, I would normally take my motorbike into the city. Uh, today, I drove uh, an Audi A4 wagon. Very, very family. Yeah, it is but isn't a Euro, though. So. You were surprised when I mean, you really thought I was
0: going to say HSV. <laughs> exactly. In my head,
1: straight away was yeah. HSV. Yeah, <laughs> it used to be. It used to be until the children ruined my dreams, <laughs> and now I drive around in a German wagon.
0: Does this good, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, it's a great car. I will say this, straight off the bat, I think it is possibly the best car I've ever owned. Next to, oh, actually just slightly below, the uh, HSV GTO Monaro I had, which was the the greatest weapon I've ever had.
0: We will get to that in the podcast. You grew up in Eltham in Melbourne. Um, what were the family cars back then? And a couple of legends grew up in that part of the mm-hmm. world, mate. There's a bit of oh, sort yeah. of automotive heartland Absolutely. almost, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Eltham is in the Diamond Valley. Uh, yeah, just outside on the outskirts of Melbourne. Uh, and I went to Eltham High, and that, of course, is the home of Peter Brock. Brocky went to my high school, Mega. obviously, before I was there. And that man had a profound influence on, on the region and a profound influence on the young men hmm. in that district. Uh, Lounsey, just up the road as well, up, at Dymond Creek, which is uh, the second high school I went to. Let's not talk about how I was expelled. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> nothing nothing car related just other poor behavior um so yeah there's a, there's always been a kind of a, a pedigree there of, of um uh, car enthusiasts and, and footballers it's, it's a it's a kind of um a great area for both of those but yeah having Peter Brock uh living in your town going to your high school um really was a, a really big quite a big effect on Massive. a lot of it. Yeah. Mate, there were so many ranas. It was hilarious. Was there? Yeah, heaps.
0: Heaps <laughs> of blokes owned ranas. What was in the family garage back then?
1: <laughs> well, that's a funny thing. Not My old man, My old man and my brother and myself, we all like cars, but different types. My old man was never actually he was never into Bathurst or, or uh, racing cars, but he, he, was a, he was a guy who liked cars. Mm-hmm. So he really liked uh, European cars, you okay. know. Um, and I think that was probably more to do with his age because when, he, you know, he was growing up as a kid, there was no Australian manufactured cars. Okay. So- um, he was into, he liked Jags. He didn't, I don't think he ever owned them, but he liked Jags uh, and he liked BMWs. He owned a, uh, one or two BMWs. Uh, he owned a Holden later on in life uh, and he used to drive Mercs because he was an advertising, my father. So he was a massive wanker. <laughs>
0: See where I get it from? Yeah, yeah I do. The um, The love of two wheels kicked in at a very early age too, didn't it? Courtesy of your cousin? Is that right? Tell yeah. us more about that.
1: Yeah. Well, my cousins, my mum's side of the family from Broken Hill. And in Broken Hill, uh, dirt bikes and motorbike riding um, is, well, certainly as I was a kid many years ago, was just so available there because mm. you literally could just go out of town a little bit and you would have hundreds of miles where you could just cut loose in the desert. So... My uncle was a, a, he was a miner and my cousin was a miner and uh, they lived on, a, on an estate which was owned by uh, Pasminco, which is the, one of the big mining companies like BHP. And uh, so they had uh, this incredible area where you could ride, you know, go-karts and motorbikes on a sealed road awesome. and then there was a dirt road kind of adjacent to it and you could cut sick and there was absolutely no repercussions. What were the bikes? Oh, well, this is embarrassing. The first time I ever stacked a motorcycle (laughs) was a scooter. And yeah, I'd ridden motorbikes before, but I had, I was on a scooter. I don't even know where it came from. It was It was at my cousin's place. And I can't even remember why it was there, but we'd been riding go-karts, which had motorbike engines in it. And, uh, we got off the go-kart and I remember getting on the scooter and I said, oh, watch this. Classic last words in Australia. <laughs> watch, watch this. Watch this just before some guy jumps off a roof and knackers himself. Um... I said, watch this, and I tried to take a a sharp turn with a scooter and kind of flick it around like you do with a dirt bike, pull it around your body, Hmm. and go in the direction. So, like, you know, a full 180... But with the scooter, and anybody who knows anything about motorbikes, scooters are are, are bottom heavy, Mm. and I didn't know this, and the Mm -hmm. the engine's mounted to the back wheel, and it just kind of didn't quite get around, and I slipped, and my hand went on the throttle, and it dragged me, and I smashed into a corrugated fence, and it dragged me about 10 metres along the fence along corrugated, so it was... On a scooter. And my cousin looked at me and goes, how did you stack a scooter into a fence like an old Vespa?
0: Being good cousins, they wouldn't have laughed much either, did they? Oh,
1: they were in hysterics.
0: <laughs> they were in hysterics. I think my
1: uncle heard it from inside and came out and he goes, what is going on? And just right down the fence was all the evidence of where I'd
0: scraped it. So you brought this up, right? How much bark have you lost over time? How many crashes? <laughs>
1: Whew. Oh, look, I've come off bikes a few times. So I've been very, very fortunate. I've never good. really sustained any, any real injury. I do gear up a bit, particularly if I'm out on, I, if I'm out on the open road. I'm, I'm, I'm in full leathers and, and yep. you know kidney protectors and back protectors and stuff. like I take it very seriously. I've got really top flight gear or Danese gear and um, you know, Alpine stars. I use the good stuff. Um, I came off the I, – I think the last time I came off, I was on a dirt road at the back of Bathurst. Been around the mountain
0: at the regulated <laughs> speed. speed. <laughs> We're not editing this, by no, the way, ladies and gentlemen. Keep going. I yes. was on a Ducati, and I
1: I uh, went out in an unsealed road, and they had just done some road works and they put water down on, and it was clay, and yep. they put water down, and without thinking, I was only doing about fifteen k's, twenty k's at the most, Oof. and without thinking, I touched the front brake, just feathered the front bra- the the front wheel on with the right hand, as, as opposed to just paddling off the back, and it just went. Wow! And stacked it at about 15 k's and just got up straight away because it wasn't hurt and covered in mud. And my mates just went, "How did you stack? (laughs) You've just been around the mountain and you stack it here in the middle." So, I think I've over the years I've had probably three or four spills, but I've been very fortunate. They've all been low, low speed. I once the first motorcycle accident I had. I had a couple when when I first started riding bikes because I actually had a motorbike before I had a car. I wanted a motorbike because I wanted to ride at school and also too because I was working in the city uh, at um, pubs in the city and motorcycles, you could just park on the footpath. Mm. So I wanted a motorbike because it was cheap and it was easy. It used to cost me about five, six bucks in petrol for a whole week. It was awesome. So
0: What was it? Yeah, What was the first bike?
1: Uh, I had an old Kawasaki, it was a, a quacker, a 250 LTD, and it was a great bike. It was really good. Blew it up, of course, yep. eventually killed it wring the neck out of it, trying to make it do things it couldn't do. Uh, But I was riding along the main street of uh, Eltham as a young man, and uh, (laughs) I saw this young woman on the other side of the road, and I just probably took too much of a cursory glance, bang, straight in the back of a car. And damaged my bike, and I was a little bit hurt, but I was okay because I had gear on. And there was a bloke on the other side of the road. Sydney so goes, did you get a good enough look? And I <laughs> said, yeah. And he goes, was it worth it? And I said, not
0: really. They're the worst, aren't they? When you the, the oh. little low speeders, or when someone catches you. I, I had same deal, like a little fifteen k an hour crash going into the car park of Channel Ten in Sydney. It was a wet day, and you sort of you come off. I think it's called Saunders, Saunders, Saunders Street there. Street. And then you oh, I no. And then down, down yep. into the-, yep. and just oh, the cha- I know exactly what the, you're talking about. The little about. change of direction and yeah. just went, woofka.
1: Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. I could never see anybody having an accident in that circumstance no. ever because it would be ridiculous oh, that highly, a person could make an error there. Highly anyway, embarrassing, sure. exactly. I bet, and I bet and The security came it's and, and, <laughs> Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> you were born in the 70s, so was I. I'm a, I'm a little older than you and I've got the grays to prove it. Looks it. Yes. Yes. But invariably, when you get to kind of, I guess, age 10, I mean, you talked about Rana's before, Tarana's, right? mm. Was it the A9X? Was it the XU1? What were the cars that that you loved back then?
1: (sighs) I did like the Tiranas, and a few of my mates had Tiranas, but they were, I mean, A9X, no one was having an A9X, except for Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Brocky, who had them on tap. Um, But there was, you know, LJ Tiranas I I liked, but my favourite, without doubt, was an SLR 5000. I loved them with the drop tank, and, you know, they just, particularly if they were in black and white, but there was, you know, there was a few around at the time, and I was lucky that I never came to any uh, grief, driving around with my mates, although I wasn't driving them. My mates had them and, you know, there was there was a little bit of uh, youthful exuberance driving in the back roads because Eltham is out in the sticks and um, uh, in the suburbs of Melbourne and it, between it, uh, it, there's a big passageway through the hills there. To, great um, piece
0: of roads to drive on. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: for cars and bikes, mm. it's just wonderful. But the um, the thing is, unfortunately, is there's a lot of dangerous roads there, and there's mm. a lot of widowmakers trees okay. yep. that you know, if you take the bend incorrectly, you will come to grief, and a lot of people have, uh, very unfortunately. But um, there's a great story uh, of a guy called Dave who was a bit of a local legend. He had an SLR five thousand, and it was worked to within an inch of its life. You could hear it tank it the whole and life. everything oh, you talked yeah. about before. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Oh, I was unreal. And uh, Dave, uh, we'll call him Dave because that's his real name. Um, <laughs> Dave had an SLR 5000 and an, another guy I went to school with, Glenn, again, real name. Uh, Glenn was living out in the, in the sticks out in the bush somewhere probably near Warrandyte. on on an old road. And and those days, you know, this is like back in the probably uh, late 80s, early 90s, if you saw someone on the side of the road hitchhiking out in those areas, because there was no bus services and there's certainly no trains because you're out in the bush, if you saw someone on the, you know, walking along the side of the road, you would pull over and offer them a lift down to, you know, Warrandyte to the train station or to Diamond Creek or Hurst Bridge or wherever it was, you'd help them out. It was kind of a a good community thing that you would do, right? So my mate Glenn's walking along in the middle of nowhere one day and uh, this Tarana comes bouncing through the hills and he could hear it, right? And he probably might have guessed at that stage it was Dave's and it has come flogging around the corner and then pulled up right in front of Glenn. and Dave who was driving it. He was very well-known, Dave. Um, oh, I said, oh, do you need a lift? And he goes, yeah, if you could drop me off the train station, that'd be great. He goes, all right, no dramas. Gets in. Dave has absolutely Florida, like he's going at absolute top speed through some really, really dangerous roads. So Glenn turns around and Dave and said, Look, mate, do you would you mind maybe not driving so fast
0: because it's We don't need to qualify here. <laughs> yeah, because it's
1: borderline lethal. Do you reckon you could back it off a bit and he goes, Oh no, I can't, because if I do the coppers will catch me. <laughs> and Dave had pulled over mid pursuit to pick him up. Mid pursuit to do the customary thing and pick up a hitchhiker. He was mid-pursuit in a police chase, stopped the car, picked up Glenn and drove him to the train station and they didn't get caught by the cops.
0: We love Dave. He did his community service before he even got caught. He's he? dead now. Oh, yeah, is he? <laughs> no, he's, no, he's actually not. But isn't it? Like, I always thought that was one of the great urban myths, but it's not
1: really an urban myth, but the, I always thought that, that was one of, like great, that.
0: Yeah, one of the great Tarana stories. Did you get your licence first go and in what car or bike?
1: Uh I got my driver's licence. I got ninety eight per cent I think when I got my driver's licence. But the first first time I went to get my bike licence, uh I failed it. Now I know that I know that uh I've heard you talk to Shane Jacobson about him losing his licence before he got it. Uh and similar circumstances, I went to go and get my motorbike licence. And, because uh, I'd ridden motorbikes before, and I thought,, oh, you know, all you do, you just ride a bike. That's what yep. you do is get a ride bike. So I did none of the road rules. I did why why would I bother? I got, you know, i got my learners, all I have to do is just go and just do the ride and we'll be done. And the blokes in those days, you know, they used to follow you around, I don't know what they do now, but well, was he like a real autocratic guy? Oh, strict, yeah. strict, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, oh, these guys were just seriously, they were like the Gestapo. <laughs> anyway, this bloke is following me around and I knew that I'd, I'd done everything right. Huh. And I came to a stop sign and stopped. But anyone who knows with bikes, you can stop. And then if you're good enough, you just feather out the, uh, the, the clutch a little bit and lay on the throttle. And you'll just pick up momentum again before you actually need to put your foot down. It's classic. That's mm. good writing, In mm. my book, that's a sign of exemplary <laughs> writing. Forget your slow ride. That is textbook. And he said, no, nah, you failed. And I said, well, why? And he goes, because you're at a stop sign. Didn't said, fully stop. And I said, well, I stopped, mate, because I wasn't going anywhere. Mm. And he said, you need to put your foot down on the ground. That's a stop on a motorbike. And I went, but I wasn't going anywhere. That stopped. Anyway, so we had a discussion. <laughs> Two weeks later, I went back, got my
0: license. Very good. You're in the media nowadays, but it was, you know, as you said before, stand up to begin with on the the Kawasaki. Uh, What was the first gig? How did you get there? Was it on the Kawasaki? How did it go? How did the first gig go?
1: I think by then... I I by the time I did my first gig, I would have had my Valiant. I would have. I think I might have bought my Valiant by then. That was my Is first. Just the brown car. one, the yes, nineteen seventy. Th- um uh VG coupe with uh, it was brown because I picked the ladies. I like. I like to pick the colours <laughs> for the ladies. Yeah, yeah. I like to pick. I like to pick a, like a colour that says to the ladies, "I'm available." <laughs> I'm really available. Brown with a vinyl roof, cream vinyl roof. So the lasers just go, stop us, hold us back. that guy is amazing. Uh, but it was a, a brilliant car. so I think I, I might have actually driven that car that would have been the, to my first gig when I was twenty one. and so that would have been uh, 20, 20, 20 years age, uh, twenty years of age I think so that would have been I would have been driving that at the time. stock. It was. It had a two, four, five Hemi in it, which was stock at the time, and like motorbikes and everything else, eventually you find a way to blow those up. <laughs> Blew that up on the <laughs> Easter freeway. Smoke pouring out. And went. I've still reckon I've got one of the cylinders are blown, So it was, you know, it was passes used by date, and uh, I still. That's what's great about those Hemi's. I still drove it probably another 20, 30 Ks down to Valiants, who are my mechanics. And within a week and a half or something like that, we'd switched in a 265 back on the road. Beautiful. Unreal. Such a good car.
0: Are you any good on the tools? Like, could you do the basic maintenance?
1: Oh, I used to do, nah, not great maintenance. I used to I'd do oil and stuff like that. And those cars too, you know, they were so easy. I used to switch the thermostat out, you know, with each season because living in Melbourne and in, in in winter, it'd be freezing. And in summer, it'd be boiling hot, and so if you're stuck in traffic, you know, it could boil over, and in winter it'd be a slow start, so I used to change the thermostat around and do little bits and pieces on it, but, because you could, it's the same with motorbikes then, you know, you could, you know, I used to change uh, the throttles and uh, levers and stuff like that, some of the basic stuff on, uh, change the chain, stuff like that, but now- no way. Would not. T- I swear to God, I get challenged by putting windshield wiper fluid in my car now. <laughs> I don't. Need- I swear to God, I don't even know where it goes anymore. It's a German. I go, where is it? Is that windshield wiper? And then you think, what if I put water where the oil's going? It's so confusing. So, no, I used, to- I used to do a little bit, but I would never say I was particularly handy, but enough to kind of get by.
0: Whatever happened to the Brown Valiant? What became of it?
1: I moved to, to Sydney when I was twenty. Five and I still owned it, but I didn't bring it to Sydney because it like it was probably not in great shape by that stage. Mm-hmm. And and I loved it, but it was a boat to drive. I loved driving. God, I thought I was good in that car. You could
0: have fitted heaps of mates in it, I would have thought oh, too was mate, you know massive.
1: What? We used to go, I remember one time Rosso and I went away for a, a boys' weekend and we're talking about they go, Oh, there's not enough beds or something. And I said, Don't worry, I'll just whack a bed in the boot of the valiant. And I did. I just got a, a whole mattress, like a, a huge futon. It was like a queen-size thing. Just put it straight into the boot of the car and then just shut the lid and I went, that's it. There you go. Sort it. Straight in because it had a massive boot space. Mm. Mm. You could fit a whole family in there. Not that you would, but you could. Um, so, yeah, it was It was a very, very handy handy vehicle. Um, but I, I think the, the, the Valiant, I think, was one of those cars that uh, is not not so suited to Sydney yep. as a city, and I knew that pretty quickly, and I, so I didn't bring it up here. And so now I think I uh, gave it to my brother, and then I think he, um, I think he gave it to a mate of his or something like that, and they were a valiant enthusiast. But by that stage, it wasn't really worth much. I paid two grand for it, and I didn't put, I didn't increase any value in it. I swear to God, the stereo was probably the most valuable part of that car. Was it a, a column shift auto? What was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, on the tree auto. Yeah. on the tree order. so and that's a funny thing it, you know' I've, I've owned several cars over the course of my life and I like driving I love driving and you know I've, I've really into it but I've never owned a manual car in my life. No way, never.
0: You can drive I, one, though, surely. If you Yeah, of course I can yeah, drive them. Yeah. I can flog them. <laughs> Jesus great. I'm not an idiot. But we only, we only get certain people on this podcast. If you told me you couldn't drive a manual, I think we'd be going oh, no, over, no. wouldn't we? No, no, I can
1: drive them. <laughs> I like driving them. But people say to me, well, why, why do you drive auto? Uh, because a lot of the time, when I've been driving um, V8s particularly, you mm. got pr- plenty of throttle. Because people go, oh, you don't get any power unless you've got manual. Well, that's rubbish. Mm. You know, you get got an HSV in an auto, you're actually going to go faster. Than mm. you are if you're driving a manual anyway, um, around the city, uh, which is where I've always lived. It's a lot easier, um, you know, driving an auto. Um, but the big thing I reckon is because if you're if you in a motorbike like I am, that's real gear changing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's 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 it's really really in it. Mm. So if you like that that aspect of controlling your speed and controlling y- your entry and exit mm. with your gears motorbikes will do that for you. Mm. And so I ride very powerful motorcycles and that kind of gives me that, you know, that sense of of, of driving that I, I don't get, I can't really get from a car. I think you get more of it from a bike.
0: Motorcycle. Yeah. you mentioned really tangible. You, you mentioned Rosso before, Tim mm-hmm. Rosso, you've had a great partnership with over the years in different different projects in radio. Mm-hmm. Is he a bit of a car guy too. I want to say somewhere that he had an EK or an EH B-H, Holden. EH. EH Holden. yeah. A
1: baby poo brown EH, (laughs) and I mean, like, it was worse than my Valiant. Um, and that was like proper, like, almost that
0: Venetians in the back
1: and stuff. I think, did it it not? Oh, it was baby, it was, it was really, and it was, I think it it, it had cream roof as well, steel cream roof. And he had a, he had an old Citroën DS as well. (laughs) Remember those? He had one of those. He's he's had a couple of weird cars or so. He's a weird guy. If he's listening now, he knows that. He'd be, he'd, he'd agree to that. Um, so yeah, he, he he was kind of he he loves those kind of cars of an era. Yep, you know, and in a different kind of way. Like I, I like cars. Like I like if I could have any car now, I'd probably have an SLR five thousand. I just love them. I think they're great. I used to like the Howies, but I, 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 you know, and I'm not necessarily Ford or a Holden man, but there's just something about a Rana. I just, they just look, they just look brutal. Yeah. They look brutal. Even now. Yeah, and A9X, of course, but, I mean, the reality is that, you know, I'm not going to get one. Hmm. Um, but an SLR 5000, I think, is a beautiful car. Whereas Rosso kind of sees, you know, those, the, the E.H. is a period car. It's a yep. period piece. It signifies a certain time in Australian motoring history, you know, and it's kind of its, its start of its motoring history as opposed to being associated with racing or associated to the glamour of, you know, uh, Brocky or Bathurst or any of that.
0: When you got to a point in your career where, the, you know, you could feel a bit more comfortable, you perhaps weren't going gig to gig and things like that, and you could afford to lash out and buy a new car, mm-hmm. what did you treat yourself to? What was the first new car?
1: Okay, so my first car was the VG Valiant, which I loved. Um, the next car I bought was when I was here in Sydney, and this goes against everything that I just said about not owning a V eight in the city. <laughs> I was driving past a car dealership and I saw a powder blue Mark One Mustang 73 model, and it had the big black stripes up the bonnet and the Mark One badging, and I just went, That car Gotta have it. Is it Unreal, and I just went and I'd never thought about buying a Mustang ever, but it had the 351 uh, Cleveland in it, mm-hmm. and I just went, Oh, and it was in mint, and I just went, I'm having that. So I went to the dealer and I said, what happened here? And he said, oh, this old guy uh, bought a, a new Ford. He bought an FPV and his wife said, you have to get rid of one of the cars. So he traded this in and he had another old car. So I went, well, it's been looked after. It was part of the Mustang Club. I bought it. And I only sold that about two years ago, three wow. years ago. Had it for a long time. It only did about 180 kilometers in that time. Uh, because I live in the city and it was a stupid car to own in the city, but jeez, I looked cool driving it.
0: Didn't your dad say you're a bloody idiot when you bought
1: it too? Of course. <laughs> of course, because I am an idiot. And then, so I, I bought a living in the inner city of Sydney, I bought a V8 and then I went, oh, you know what? I should just have that just as like a weekender. And mm. what I need to do is get a more sensible weekday car because I live almost five kilometres away <laughs> from where I, I work in my, my home, five kilometres away. So what I should probably do is get there in the fastest weapon I can afford. And the first new car that I ever owned was a GTO Monaro, the first the first edition. I saw. I remember seeing the billboard ad for those Monaros, and I just went, that is everything that I want in a car. Mm. Six, Six litre, I think, is that, right? what that was, was it? The first one was the, the five litre. Okay. Yep. And uh, it was, I think it was- um, just a tick under 300 kilowatts and was the black one. That was before they had the kind of, you know, the nostril flares yes, at the start. Yes. But I got one of those as well. Don't worry about that. <laughs> oh, I went full idiot. So I had a black one first and then when they came out with it, well, I think it was the Gen 3 or whatever it was then. It was just before the last of the GTOs. It was the last of the GTOs. I bought a red one and I love that car. That's probably go. That's probably my favourite car of all time. That was a weapon. An absolute weapon and was just beautiful to drive. Um, Sure, I only live five kilometres away from work, but, geez, I could get there. I could really get to work. It really helped me to get to work. Like, when I needed to get to work, I could get there
0: in in that
1: car. In that car.
0: My ears pricked up when you said you sold the Mustang. Mm Mm-hmm. Couple of years on, how do you feel? Do you regret selling it? Nah, no?
1: nah. I, I I have at times, but I don't because old cars, vintage cars, have got to be loved and they've got to be they've got to be used. Yep. If they're just sitting around, I couldn't put my kids in it. It didn't have seatbelts for kids. I'd have to put in a whole lot of mountings. It was going to become very very difficult because I had lap sashes in the back, and you know, I, to do that, then I wasn't really comfortable with having small children in that car. Um, and I went, you know what, I'd rather somebody else use it and drive it and and give it the respect that it needs than just sit around. And I thought, at another time, when I'm older, I'll be that guy and I'll buy somebody else's car. And that's I think that's a great thing about cars. Cars do have owners and they have stories. And I don't think you can ever you, – you don't have to hang on to something for dear life forever. Yeah.
0: Did you keep it? As it was when you bought it from the the dealership, yep. but you did, yeah, yes,
1: just- yeah. Oh, I mean, I just did. So I just made sure that it was mechanically A one, and and that it was, uh, you know, everything was in good order, and the electrics. So I had to fix up some of the electrics
0: because of the conversion.
1: Yep. Um, but there was it was pretty it was pretty standard. Like Mark from the outside. one, pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, it's a beautiful mm. car. Beautiful car.
0: Um, in the early days of your comedic career, I, I guess, were there some key people that, that influenced you? I grew up here in Sydney, so I, I can vividly remember um, listening to Doug Mulray, king of FM radio in Sydney. I mean, he loved his cars, all, all different mm-hmm. sorts of cars, commentated at Bathurst mm-hmm. and things like that. Who, who were the people that were comedically the influencers for you?
1: Comedians? Oh, look, I, I have to say the DGN guys, absolutely. You know, I was really influenced by them. Strangely enough, you know, having done 20 years in radio, I was never, ever influenced by anybody on radio. Really? No. Really, nah. Okay. No, I, I I never used to listen to radio, um, and yet it's become a staple for you yeah, in I many ways. It. You know, <laughs> I love it. It's you know, it's like some people they they like eating but they don't like cooking. <laughs> yeah. it's certainly influenced by you know the the usual suspects of Blackadder and uh, scripted comedy from the UK and a bit of stuff from the US. Um, but I, I, also too, I was a big reader. I really like Groucho Marx. Oh well. Wow. I read a lot. I've read his books several times and, and one of his books called Groucho's Letters really uh, inspired me in so many ways. He was a brilliant, brilliant comedian and a massive smart ass. Um, so I was always a student of and John Clark, massive John Clark was a huge influence, even though I've never done anything remotely similar in the way his his comedy was made. I just loved the way he used to write. And the way he used to create comedy, he inspired me enormously. Just before I started doing comedy, my old man gave me a book of his, of his interviews that he did uh, uh, in, this would have been 90, end of 92. Mm -hmm. And uh, I read that book and was absolutely uh, blown away Mm -hmm. by how clever his writing was. And it was a two-hander, it was a classic two-hander. So- Clark and Dawes, so mm. they, you know, for their interviews. And I um, was a classic two-hander and I always liked those two-handers. I've always liked dialogue. And I think that's why I like, you know, working in a duo, like working with somebody else because- Bouncing off somebody, yeah, yeah. yeah, a, yeah. It, you, can, you can do a lot in a duo that you can't do in an ensemble and that you, you can't do in, you know, working in solace. So uh, they were huge influences on me, those guys.
0: So invariably when you drive around- uh I guess you must spend a little bit of time thinking about topical stuff, things that make you laugh, you know, yeah. Even though, even though you've established in this, Chad, you don't live very far away in driving terms. From, mm. but, but, do you spend a bit I, of time with you? Yeah. Do, do you impersonate when you're behind the wheel? Like, oh, what do you mate, do? Mate? What do you
1: do? It's, it's really mm. kind of, it's kind of a bit disturbing. I actually, we do a lot of road trips um, as a family. You know, we've driven over over the Nullarbor and we drive all over the place. We're awesome. We're a real road tripping family, mm. um, and I love it. I've spent heaps of time this year driving all around you know, three, four different states at least. Um, so I really enjoy it. And there's a funny thing. In, in the car, when I'm in the car with my family, you know, I talk and we, we kind of, you know, we act as a – I suppose as a family would. But when my family's not there, I become – when I'm driving, I become quite creative and I become quite um, – Uh, I think of funny things and I say jokes and I can talk to myself in in that little confined space. You can talk to yourself and you don't look like you need to be locked up because no one can see you. (laughs) Whereas, like, if you just go and do that on the street, somebody's going to call the emergency services. So, you know, you can have that little moment to yourself in the car where you can act things out. You can act out characters, you can act out jokes, and you become quite creative. And over over the course of a, a long trip, which is why I love doing them, you can really kind of bed in creative thoughts. So I drive across the hay plains, which I, I hate, but yeah. or I find it quite good in some ways because it gives you a long period of time between Adelaide and Sydney mm. to really... Just not have to think, you know. There's no there's no real obstacles out in the Hay plains. Anyone mm. who's been out there knows there's nothing, mm. um, and so you can just kind of let your imagination. You shut off one part of your brain, and the creative part of your brain starts to, to come to the fore. Mm. And it's a complete opposite with motorcycle riding. Uh, I, I know you spoke to Robbie Madison about this, and I took it was a real takeaway for me because I mm. agree with him. When you spoke to him, he said that you concentrate so much when you're riding a motorcycle. Did you actually relax? hmm you are so focused on
0: what you're doing. Like, I don't really get creative on a motorcycle. No, because you're constantly thinking about where's that guy going? Who's backing out of that driveway? Is that a you, branch? Y- yeah, is that a snake? Yeah. Mm. Is
1: this, you know, mm. is, that, is that a true corner? Where's the camber? Those sorts of things, you know, like you're trying to pick out those nuances of the road mm. to keep yourself alive, particularly if you're at pace and particularly if you're in dynamic corners and hills and, you know, you're looking for rubble, you're looking for, you know, has it rained recently and washed, you know, small stones onto the road? Is that going to put me into a corner? Is it going to compromise my corner? All those things, you're constantly thinking. So you're exhausted at the end of the day. But what happens is you get to that point where you are so, so heavily concentrated. Immersed in it. Yeah, and yeah. what you're doing, you actually become quite relaxed. Mm. And I find it it's meditative. Mm. You know, like it's you go into a kind of meditative state where you, Everything else, you just shut everything off. Mm. You, you don't that have one time with the bike, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. And mm. then, and then it's just then it becomes all about the feel, you know, the throttle, the lean, and the, you know those those forces that you get mm. that are, you know through your body, the g forces and the pressure, and you know all those kind of really um, tangible physical aspects of riding a motorcycle that you don't get uh, necessarily driving in a car. Unless in a car to get that, you have to be on a f- on a track and flogging it. Whereas on a motorcycle, you don't need to be going as fast and you can be on an open road.
0: When you get to that point, that is joyous, but I'm with you. At the end of the day, I'm spent. Oh, I'm spent. Man. But it's good for us.
1: That is a good, that's
0: actually quite a, a slim, good thing. Sleep yeah. like a log. Yeah.
1: You know, if you ride for between four and six hours, particularly if you're riding in dynamic stuff, four hours over the course of a whole day, you should be tired. You should be exhausted. You shouldn't be doing any more than that. Like in really dynamic stuff, you're going through the Alpine Way or, you know, into mountain territory and you're doing a lot of corners and a lot of hard leaning. um, You should be knackered. Yeah. You should be knackered at the end
0: of the day and you should sleep like a log and wake up a bit sore. It's great. I'm glad that you take the family on road trips because in many ways modern life is less and less about that. I mean, my my folks used to take us always on holidays to the Gold Coast from, you know, that 1,000 k's from Sydney to the Gold Coast almost became a well-worn path. Yep. It's great that you do that. Is there a favourite piece of road, either for the family road trip or when you're riding?
1: I do, yeah. Look, uh, motorcycle riding, Alpine Way, it's just it's just beautiful. And Chain of Ponds, which is up in um, Adelaide as well, I love. Uh, there's lots of places I love to ride for, for different reasons. With my family, two points, right? Greg, you raised a really good point with, with kids and with cars, right, is that now they're all on iPads. Yeah. And I was saying before about how you can let your mind go as a driver. Remember, as you were a kid, you didn't have iPads. You couldn't colour in necessarily. So what you'd do is you'd look out the window and you'd use your imagination. imagination. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. Kids don't have those anymore. Now yeah. they have iPads. So they don't need imaginations anymore. So it's actually good to strip them out in the cars. We strip out the, the technology, so the kids have to fantastic fight uh, <laughs> <laughs> fight with each other. But uh, no, it, it, I think there's a real there's a real thing there where they can you know just looking off into the distance creates an imaginative landscape for them. Um, but to answer the, the other part of the question, where the piece of road. There's a place called Wellington um, on the Murray River, uh, not far from Talem Bend or, or Murray Bridge in South Australia, You're coming into Adelaide, towards Adelaide, but yep. it's a little bit further south, down towards the mouth of the Murray, down towards Goola And you cross over at Wellington on a little punt. So you come down this, this road. Uh, old you, school. And there's no mm-hmm. one there. And then you get to this old punt. Love and it. the punt takes you across the Murray River to the other side and then you go towards Strathalban and there's beautiful roads, you know, Bull Creek. There's some really good roads for motorcycles there. And it's a great place. Um, and Langhorn Creek is around there. You have to go through Langhorn Creek. And for me, always, whenever I go into Adelaide, which is a lot, I take my family there a lot, whether I'm in the car or on the motorbike, and a friend of mine does the same thing, you divert out of your way to avoid the, the normal route to Adelaide. You go down south, down to Wellington, cross the punt, and it is like – it, it's a change, a mental change. It's a shift. It, I just become instantly more relaxed. Mm. I feel like I've completed a journey and you feel like you're entering God's country. It's beautiful down there. You go through wine regions, hills. It's just magnificent. And for me, that's that's my favorite moment on the roads is when I cross the punt at Wellington and I'm, I move into, you know, uh, the greater aspects of Adelaide. Great stuff. We, we, we're always a road-tripping family as a kid. My dad used to drive us because my mum was from Broken Hill, uh, where my cousins were from. And uh, so we used to drive from Melbourne, where we lived up to Broken Hill uh, two, three times a year. Um, and my old man was the classic, we're getting there in eight hours. <laughs> we're getting there in eight hours. One stop. Everything. You will eat four dim sims. Take a whiz, have a can of passiona, and then we go to Broken Hill. That's it. So we'd get the car in Melbourne, drive straight to Mildura, and it was like, seriously, it was like a pit stop. It'd just be,
0: get back in the car. You're taking too long. We're on the clock. Eight hours.
1: Eight hours. But that's a nine-hour drive. Eight hours. Get in there, and he would just be flat stick trying to get there for three o'clock so he could have a couple of cold tinnies on arrival, and that was classic 70s Watts family. Love it.
0: I've seen a post of yours on Instagram. You were buying "quote unquote" another resto project on oh, Gum Gumtree after after God. a few beers. How often oh, does God. that ha- does that happen? And what's Georgie's reaction? Oh, this is a,
1: this is so bad. It's a what happens? You just light up. I got to have that. Oh, what I'd been drinking. I got I got a Gumtree. And because I'd seen this bike, funnily enough, in Adelaide, I'd seen this old bike, and I went, that looks great. And
0: it's a, it's went, an ex-police bike, isn't it? It's an ex-police it? yeah. bike. Yeah. A
1: 1981 Honda CB750 former police motorcycle. Panniers on it, the whole, or only the, the uh, sirens and lights have been stripped from it, and it was in uh, concourse condition. Anyway, so I I thought, oh, see, wonder if it's on eBay. Had a look on eBay? No. Had look on Gumtree. Oh, there it is. Buy it. Just buy it. And I bought it. And then I literally woke up the next day and I went, God, I had the weirdest dream last night. And I bought a po- Oh, my God, I bought a police bike. What was I thinking? And then I, it was like, and it wasn't even like in Adelaide, it was like miles away, <laughs> out in the middle of the desert, had to get a guy in a tow truck to bring it to Adelaide, transport it to Sydney. Then I had to get it completely, you know, redone, and I, I went mad and put on new carbies that I brought in from America, just real
0: Original colour? Original white I police left, colour?
1: I left all of, left the, the motorcycle chassis completely like, only under the covers, I only changed, you know, the the, uh, the carbies and, and the pods and stuff like that. Um, and just basically just to give it better performance. And, oh, yeah, I've still got that. Yeah, that's in that's my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, ask me when the last time I rode
0: that was. Yeah, when did you not last this ride year. that? Not <laughs> this year. Not this year. It hasn't so, been ridden this so year. So are those conversations with Georgie like, gee, we're not really getting much use oh, out of God. that? <laughs>
1: One time, this oh, I don't. This is even worse. This just makes it sound bad, but this one time, Rosso and I, <laughs> we were some mates and we were having lunch, and we used, to, we used to, on a Friday, the boys and I would go and have lunch, we'd finish work, uh, breakfast radio, and then uh, Friday afternoon sometimes we'd go out and get on the tinnies, and we'd add a few. Had a Do your lunch,
0: best thinking but, on the tinnies, don't you, too, about buying stuff like
1: this? <laughs> and we used, to, we used to just read Unique Cars, just <laughs> You know, get, we just car magazines. We just sit around, and just look at cars. I don't know why. One time, Ross and I were just looking at some cars, and we went, "How funny is that?" Leyland P seventy sixes. Oh no, two of those in no. Queensland. One of them's a Grape <laughs> Purple, the other one's Cream. Then I'm not even kidding. We went, "How funny would it be?" Because they weren't very expensive, because nobody wanted them, or did they? And then I remember Ross and I speaking to our PA. On the Monday, and she said um, the cars are going to arrive from Queensland um, uh, next week, and we were <laughs> I, we literally went what cars? And she goes the two cars that your boys bought on Friday, and we what? What? And she said don't you dare. She said are you serious? And I said what what has happened here? And she said you two rang me blind made me buy two cars (laughs) from Queensland and they're coming down next week on a trailer. Two Leyland P76s on their way and we went, oh, God. What did you do with those? <laughs> sold one of them to a radio station straight away. Sold one of them straight away to the radio a radio station. a great oh, promotional, vehicle. New promotional vehicle. We bought this new promotional vehicle and we sold it for the exact amount of money that we bought both of them for. And we got a free car.
0: <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. There's
1: a message to the kids out there. Be dishonest. <laughs>
0: You I drove for years that car. It was great. You gave a great piece of advice once. Mum's listening might disagree with this, but you told some motoring colleagues always buy a car that your mum will hate. Yes. What? What? what why? And what is the Merrick Watts criteria? What I, is the-
1: I think if you don't buy a car that your mum just looks at you and is not—they've got to look at you with total disappointment. <laughs> Like, like it's it's the equivalent because two reasons. Number one, if you bring home a car that your mother hates, that's going to soften her for the blow for when you bring home a girlfriend or a wife. Um, they've already they've already had the experience of not liking something you're very close to. <laughs> Number two, I think that genuinely you've got to have that moment. I reckon you. Some blokes like myself and probably you as well, many people listening would be uh, recidivists in this, and they've got a history. But you've got to have that one thing, that one time in your life where you just go, "I just did that entirely for me," hmm. where where that was a, not necessarily an impulse buy, but more about having that moment where you feel as though you've bought a character possession. Hmm as opposed to buying something that's perfunctory, Mm. something that serves a purpose. You've bought something that says, this is how my character is right now. This is how I want to be seen. And that may be a brown valiant with a vinyl roof, and everyone goes, your character is suspiciously dodgy. (laughs) And you go, yes, it
0: is. (laughs) So the term practical doesn't venture into that definition. And I guess Mm. cool Mm. kind of means... Not something expensive, Euro, that you'll hope will turn. What did you say? David Cosh into Johnny Depp. Mm. But, but, but by that, you mean the epitome, of course. Cool. So Is that what the Mustang was all about, mate? Is that what the-
1: Oh, man. I just, I saw that car. I remember I'd, I'd seen it in one of the Bond movies. It was, there was a red one in- um, Ooh, one, Diamonds Are Forever. I think it was, yes. Yeah. yeah. And it was one of the very few times you saw James Bond drive an American car. And uh, it was- a it red-
0: on two wheels, I think, uh,
1: Sean Connery in that. I don't know how he did that. I'll tell you those things. They are so a <laughs> if they didn't have power steering, my God, did would have arms like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think that was definitely, that was a character and a, a personality purchase for me. I was just, I just loved the colour with the black, that that really nice powder blue. And it, it, just, it just looked tough. And I, I really like, I love muscle cars. I think they are fantastic. They're impractical. Mm. And as you have kids, you just realise more and more how impractical they are, which is why I drive a wagon now. Cause you just, got, I just have so much crap I have to carry everywhere all the time. It's just constant stuff in the boot of my car. So I think at some stage you should always have that purchase where you just go, "This is just for me and for me when I'm driving it." And and it's a good thing to do. I think if you do that young, you can experience that. And then when you're older and you have kids, if you you know if you do choose to have kids, then you've you've done that. You've parked that.
0: This is Greg Rust and you're listening to Rusty's Garage. More with Merrick Watts in a moment. Mark Webber is one of the most determined racers you'll meet. From humble beginnings, his Aussie grit saw him rise to crazy heights in Formula One before helping Porsche's World Endurance Championship sports car program, bringing some brilliant people together to make their iconic 919 title-winning race car. So then we got that up to like 30 people and, and started to reinvest in areas where it was going to be more comfortable for us. I said, if we invest in these departments, there's going to be less mistakes from the drivers, the car's going to be more predictable, we're going to have an easier product to use in all conditions, even in the rain, at night, on slicks, whatever, you know. Listen to the full episode with Mark Webber here on Rusty's Garage. Bench seat, one continuous seat from door to door, similar to a park bench, and usually is poorly constructed. Your young bloke won an indoor go kart race. Bit oh, of fun. Wow, of, you've done fun. some real research. Bit of, bit of fun. Twelve months that ago, that was a big day. I was going to say, I would, I would have thought, as a oh. dad, you would have been quite proud of that. Is he passionate about cars like you? Is he? Does he sort of dig it? Because the reason I asked this is, uh, uh, my kids are a similar age to yours, and I and I fear, mate, that it will just become the driverless box on wheels that comes yeah. to pick them up. And it's yeah. – you and I feel differently about that, you know? It's yeah.
1: Not- I, I think that's a real sadness that we're going to see. It's going to be a huge cultural shift globally where – and particularly in the countries like America and Australia, in the UK, Europe, you know, Italy, France, Spain, Germany, <laughs> um, everywhere, essentially everywhere, um, where – those, you know, those driving experiences are not going to be the same. It's going to be about transportation. Hmm. Uh, my son is, I think, I think he likes cars. He loves being in the front seat of the car. He likes the feel of cars. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really, he loved the Mustang. Okay. He used to just go and sit in it. And we, to the point where we're going, is he all right? <laughs> What's, he's just sitting in the car there. <laughs> the car's not going in. There's no keys in it. He's just, and, you know, he just, Comfortably, just go and sit behind the wheel of the car.
0: That's cool.
1: Um, I think he likes cars. He loved it when he went to go karting, and he'd never he'd never done it before. And he had three races, and he got first, second, and I think third in three races. And he, I was like, "Oh, how good is this? Yeah, how good is That's this? Very could proud." Could not have got the camera and the Instagram going in faster <laughs> <if a try. laughs> Any other photos of him on any other days? No. No, nah, just that time that he he won some go kart races that meant nothing to anyone. Yep, heaps of photos of that. Um, I think he he I think he'd actually be quite good for it. He's got re, he's got good reflexes, mm. and as you know, like a, a lot of motoring is actually it's reflexes. Yeah. Um. And uh, and bit of perception. So I I love it if he got into cars because I think he he may be of that that kind of maybe potentially the last generation of people who were into it. Yeah. Um. And I'd be happy for him if he did that and stayed away from motorbikes. To be honest, really,
0: yeah. Is that I'd, hard though? Because I mean, you you ride them, so the, I still yeah.
1: love them. Yeah, love them. I'd, I'd, I'd get, I'll get another motorbike. There's no way knowing that I'm done with motorbikes, no, you,
0: not you, just yet. Your fear though is clearly born out of the fact that that on yeah. the road, other people are not as as oh. aware and yep. as you know,
1: people so. don't see them, mm. and you know, unfortunately, you know, you've got no, you've got very little protection, mm. you know, and. Um, uh, it's out on the open roads. You know, there's so many variables mm. that can get you to come a cropper that it's, it doesn't make sense. You know, and I look, I, I think some of the times when I've nearly, nearly had accidents compared to the ones, the accidents I've had on motorbikes have fortunately been, you know, very, very soft, very, very minimal. Um, and they've been error based, but um, circumstantial. Whereas, you know, a couple of times, there's been a few times on the open road where I've just been very lucky and I've had a good machine and the machine's probably helped me a little bit. Okay. Um, and there's been a few times in traffic where I've just gone, wow, I was, I would have been dead, absolutely dead if I hadn't have seen that or if I- um,
0: Wasn't aware or, yeah, yeah. or yeah, alert. Well, the, the best thing is I always
1: say to people, if you ride motorbikes- Early and you ride them first, you'll be a better driver in a car. You mm. won't have accidents as often because you know you can't afford to have an accident. So you you know you know, just because someone's got an indicator on, that doesn't mean they're in, that doesn't mean they're going to do that. Mm. Don't ever think they're going to do that. Watch the I always say you know watch watch where the wheels are. Mm. The wheels tell you where the vehicle's going to go, not where the driver's looking, not where the where the car is actually pointing. It's always the wheels, you know. So if you mm. see somebody with their wheels pointing towards you, there's a good chance they're going to come towards you. There's a term in, in motorcycle, I think this came from, I read this in Keith Code's book, oh, uh, yeah. Twist of the Wrist, yep. which is you know, an incredibly good read. I, if you ride motorbikes and you've got to read that, you've mm. got to get a copy of that and read it, uh, California Superbike School, and I've done lots of advanced riding and stuff like that, courses, and, and I'm, I'm right into it. But there's a, there's a term called negative fixation, and I believe this in life, I, I apply it to life as much as I do to motorcycle riding. So, negative fixation is when you see something that is potentially hazardous, that is potentially dangerous, and you know it's there, and then you focus on it, knowing that it's there, to the point where you focus on it so much, you draw so much attention to it, you end up Hitting going it. into it. Mm. So, in motorcycle terms, you're going into a right hander. And there's a great big right on the bend there. There's a massive widowmaker on the outside of the left lane there, and it's just a huge gum tree. And you go, geez, I wouldn't want to hit that because that'd hurt. So then you keep looking at it, and looking at it, and you're it's not like looking, a magnet, exactly. Mm-hmm. You're not. You're now not looking in the right place. You're not looking through the corner. You're not looking. You're not, not looking at the apex. You're looking at this huge tree. What do you drive into? Mm. You ride your bike straight into the tree. Negative fixation. You don't focus on. It. On wherever your vision is, your head will follow your eyes, and your and your body will follow your head. So you know it goes eyes, head, and then your bike. So if you have a negative fixation, and I believe that with uh, with show business and and with life in general, if you focus on the negative and you too you're too aware of the negative, that's where you're going to draw to. That's mm. where you're going to go to naturally. So just don't just focus. Look through the bend with life. Just look through the bend
0: find the exit, look for your exit, look for your exit, don't, don't go into the bad stuff. Love it. Great piece of advice that applies to both both worlds, both motoring and, and life generally. Yeah, I'm going to write a book about it.
1: Yeah, you should. It's a very short book. In fact, it's one page. <laughs> it just says negative fixation. Don't do it here's by a li- Merrick Watts. <laughs> here's a leaflet
0: I prepared earlier. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> it's a flyer. That's My autobiography is a flyer. An award-winning flyer. Um, you've talked about the family planner. You've talked about the ex-Honda police motorcycle. What, yeah. else, what else is in the Merrick Watts garage right now? I uh, got a BMW K twelve hundred R motorcycle,
1: which I love. That has been one of the that is the only motorcycle that I've I've had for more than three years, I think. Um, and I love it. I will flip it at some stage. Why do you love it? Because it's uh, I say to people, anybody who wants to buy a motorcycle, let the bike choose you. Don't you choose the bike. Meaning throw your leg over a few and pick the one that feels right for your body. So me getting on a little 250 Aprilia is a dumb thing to do. I'm too big. It's not, you know, it's not my size. It's not the right thing. But then you see people at traffic lights and they've got tippy toes touching the ground you know, on, on the, the lights, because they picked the bike that's too high, too big, too much power, mm. and their frame's too small. It doesn't make sense. You've got to let the, it's got to be hand and glove. Mm-hmm. The bike has got to, to be as close to feeling like it's a glove on your a hand. A part
0: of you. yeah, mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Because it is, essentially, when you're riding, it's an extension of your body. Yep. So the BMW, I was never into them. I was riding Ducatis before that, and um, I, I, I liked the look of it, and I went, I'm going to, give that a ride and just see, it. but I had no intention of buying it. And I told the guy, I said, I don't want to buy it. And he goes, ride it down in the national park. And he goes, you'll come back and you'll buy it. And I said, mate, I'm not here to buy a bike. I said, I've, I've got a Ducati. I'm very happy. There won't be any problem here. And uh, I took it for a ride. I came back and I said, I want I want that bike. But with every single extra that there is, I want all of it. As much of it as you can put on that.
0: So pipe, chip, whatever. Mate, what Everything.
1: All of it, chip, shield, everything—a <laughs> lot. New, new system out the back. You know, um, got a Remus pipe, carbon fiber. Love it. Only ride with carbon fiber pipes, um, and it, it, I've loved it ever since. And I feel very comfortable. And there's been a few circumstances too. One time up in the chain of ponds in Adelaide, where I came around a corner and there had been a lot of heavy rain and there's a lot of rubble on the road, and I came around into a right hander, and it's got traction control. And i would never f- ridden a bike with traction, traction control. Mm. And I'd never had necessity to, to kind of, you know, I'd never felt it kick mm. in. And I came around a corner and just hit a bit of loose stuff that I couldn't really see, and because uh, it was dappled light, and I started to slide out, and the bike just cut the power off, came back up into line, and I just, and then a bang, pulled back on the handle, straightened me up, and put me through the corner. And I thought at the time, if this bike didn't have that tech,
0: mm.
1: I would have gone into the barrier. Mm. I might not have, you know, it wouldn't have been necessarily fatal, but I would have been the bike. But I thought that, that bike has definitely saved me a collision and it's saved me a few times. It's a very, very good machine. And so I feel very comfortable on it. It's the right weight. It's the right setup. I don't get sore riding and I can, and I've ridden it several times. I can ride it through, you know, Alpine regions and it will belt because it's fast. Yeah. Uh, but I can also get around the city on it, you know, relatively easy uh, without it kind of labouring too much. So it does; it serves a lot of purposes, and you can change the, you know, the setup on it quite easily, you know, from you know a comfortable ride to a tighter sports ride. So it's been it's the only bike I haven't kind of looked to get rid of hmm. because it's been a great machine. So that's 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 my that's my workhorse. But eventually, like all like all horses, you have to take it to a paddock and shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> what about other cars? Do you know that this is the first time in at least 16, 17 years, I think, that I haven't owned at least two cars at one time. I went from HSV and then I, I for about a year I was working here in the, in the station here and I was you know, five kilometres away, not even that. So I was running to work or walking to work. So I had a, an HSV and I was just like, oh, I'm not driving this anymore. And it was, at one stage I was realised I was averaging 25 to 30 kilometres a week. And I just went, what is this? Yes. This, is, this has got ridiculous. So I went, uh, my wife had an Audi Q5, which was an excellent car as well. Um, and I just went, well, look, we only need one car at the moment. So I sold the HSV. Um, do, you miss, do you miss
0: it? Was it, G- was it the GDO, the last one yeah, that you had? The yeah, GTO, the
1: the mm. red one. I do miss it, actually.
0: Mm.
1: Mm. Um, I, the problem is I, I miss it, but would I be using it in the same context? No, I couldn't use that now because I need a wagon now to, mm. for road trips of the family.
0: Simple as that. I touched on it before GDO for memory correct me if I'm wrong here on some of the stats but I think it's 6 liter I mean, awesome yeah, VA yeah, isn't yeah. it you know just yeah
1: 300 kilowatts mm. absolute weapon mm. and just just sounded good performed well it was a beautiful car mm. so I miss it but I don't regret moving on from it. Okay. So at the moment I've got uh, a, an Audi uh, A4 wagon which is you know it's actually a really good car. <laughs> it's pretty good. They're good cars. I mean, do I I feel like a champion driving it? No. No. Am I slightly ashamed when people see me driving it? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But, you know, having driven it, you know, right across the country, it's an excellent vehicle. It's safe and it's reliable and it's uh, just a good car.
0: You've done over time some crazy things with cars too. So based around the Ford that was kind of made famous by Mad Max, you created... The barbecue. Oh yeah, hundred and fifty-six grand right. on a car that could also cook a steak in the boot. Tell us about that. <laughs> okay.
1: So one time I was at lunch and I was drunk. Um,
0: it sounds like that. It
1: was. I was kind of. I don't. I had this idea. I don't even remember how it really came about, but I was working at Triple M and there was an idea for um, that. I had. I'd been watching Mad Max. A lot, which is not uncommon for me. <laughs> and um, somebody, there was somebody from Barbecue's Gloss said, I oh, want to do something in your radio show and have you got any ideas? And I said, yes, I do. I said, I reckon we should build a car like, you know, like the Interceptor. Um, and we should, you know, like an old school Mad Max Pursuit Interceptor looking machine where you've got, you know, uh, Matte Black and, you know, yep. dirty mags and just, just a filthy-looking beast. And I said, and then I think we should put a barbecue in the boot of the car. <laughs> and everyone went, do you have any idea how much that costs? And I said, do you have any idea how much I don't care? Um, so I, I thought at the time, I thought when we bought it, we bought an X, XA, okay. XA yeah. and uh, Superbird, and we um, – uh, we got it modified heavily. I think it was like about twenty, thirty grand to buy it, and then we put a lot of gear in it and a lot of work, and it tipped over a hundred grand. And I had no idea. I seriously thought it was about sixty grand. The engine could power the barbecue. Is that right? <laughs> the engine could power the sun. <laughs> it's just. Oh, but it was great and it was fantastic. And you know what's brilliant about that is that at the end of it, you know, we had this great radio moment where we was driving around and was you know, it was going to the races, it was going to the V8s and it was appearing as this kind of vehicle. And people still ask me about it all the time and that's what I love, you know, the people, car enthusiasts go, what about the Carbecue, where's that, where's it at the moment? And the guy who actually did a lot of the work on it, he bought it back from the station had a very discounted rate. He did very well out of it, very, very well. well. <laughs> and uh, so it still lives on. It's still out there somewhere. Excellent. I don't know where it is exactly at the moment, but um, it's still out there and it's still on the road. And it's a, it's a great thing. And it was a great opportunity to take uh, a professional organisation's money and just piss it up against the wall. <laughs> when I say an organisation, I mean the people who right now are broadcasting this podcast. Right. That's right. Mm. Thank you very much. Well, helping, helping,
0: helping to pay back the barbecue. Exactly <laughs> so, uh, right. That's uh, what, why I'm here because I feel indebted. What was the engine in it? Tell, tell us a bit about the power plant. What you uh, it was in, a 351. It Yeah, yeah, yeah it had to three, be.
1: Yeah, it's a three fifty one. So it was not. It was not lacking. But it, just. I love that. I, I love that really kind of tangible sound and that that rumble that you get in those old cars. And you know, yeah. you're reminded when you get back into an old car, and you don't get it when you get into a modern car even if you get into a, a really high powered car like an Aventador or somebody like it'll, it'll sound really aggressive but it doesn't shudder when you turn the no. key mm. so it turns on and you know that there is so much accessible horsepower it's ridiculous Yeah.
0: They sound, they sound awful and rough. And then the moment you kind of inject a bit of throttle, the whole thing comes to life in this glorious manner, mate. Yes. So they're unbelievable yeah. like that. Yeah, I know what you mean. But when you, t- you know,
1: those old cars, you turn the key over and it, the car just kind of, you know, shimmers mm. and, and it moves because the engine is so powerful and the car is so poorly constructed. That it, just <laughs> kind of, it wobbles a bit like jelly, but you, you feel it's very tangible. It comes back and there's that kind of physical feedback loop that Mm. you get from driving old cars, that, you know, that you get from riding motorcycles um, that you don't get when you get in a Prius. Absolutely. You know, you get in a Prius, you feel nothing and there's there's no tactile moment with that.
0: In the midst of the comedy work, you've done some serious, a little bit of serious acting as well, and I can fondly remember you playing Marty Johnston in uh, Underbelly, Tale Mm. of Two Cities. Mm. Uh,
1: Worst acting of all time. I thought it was a great fit. It was terrible.
0: Invariably, though, that means there would have been some cool – things on set. Were there any cool cars on set in that movie? Did you get to check any of them out?
1: Uh, there was actually, yeah, in the Underbelly, they had lots of great vehicles. I never got to get anywhere near them. The, the car that uh, I was supposedly dragged from and then executed in the wilderness from was a Jag. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say an XJ. Um, from memory, I remember it was a Jag. Uh, but I didn't I didn't Never really get, to get the, No I didn't get to get around the cars and I thought, I thought there was when I first read the script, I, I remember the time thinking, oh, great, it's based in the 70s. there'll be wicked cars in this. There'll yeah. be great cars. <laughs> I saw none of them. You know what I you know what I saw I saw a revolver at the back of my head being shot in a forest and then being mercilessly stabbed after it'd been shot. I'm already dead, mate. He shot me in the head. <laughs> what are you stabbing me for? I'm clearly dead. Stop hurting me. And, of course, whilst the, the Damon Gamow is a fantastic actor and a great guy, he was uh, he was responsible for killing me in the Underbelly series, uh, which a lot of people were very grateful to him for. But, unfortunately, he didn't kill me. my acting career. He just killed me as a character. People were hoping for both. <laughs> and um, he uh, he had to stab me, and I had to wear this... Uh, protective inlay underneath my wardrobe Mm. as like a... It was was kind of like a a mesh. Yeah. And it's because they... Even though they were using a fake knife with a retractable blade, if the blade locked and he stabbed me, it would puncture me and kill me, right? So they had to take all these precautions, and it was all really good. Nothing to fear here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the fact that they used an actual real gun at the back of my head, I was a bit more worried about that, frankly, rather than the fake switchblade. But uh, when I was on the ground, I had to pretend I was dead, and then Damon had to stab me repeatedly, and they had to reshoot it, like, probably three or four takes at least. So we calculated that I was stabbed anywhere between 150 and 250 times. (laughs) Through all the takes, and what had happened is because you know he's a good actor, and because I'm an excellent corp act, corpse actor, I uh, laid there and it stabbed me. And then the next day, I was completely black with Whoa. bruises all around my ribs, and I think he may have um, split the intercostal in my ribs. Whoa. But I'm such an excellent actor that all you see is a. Corpse on the ground because I'm that good.
0: And the Jag drove away. I was in agony, so, so you never got. And then
1: in it drove game. away, and the, and the Jag. And I went, "Well, that was it. What a dream!
0: Glad I was a big part of the Underbelly series." I want to get. I want to get to the Hollow Men now. You know, working with the Working Dog production guys, amazing. Oh, I love that show. Comedy about government policy making units that is, I think, scarily accurate. Probably <laughs> too, too accurate. Too accurate. Anyway, you meet a designer and builder on set, James Clark, and you guys mm. start toying with the idea of modifying Honda ct110s the yep. mighty posty bike
1: yeah it was weird because we, we used to spend a lot of time we actually uh, we would work together on um, the set of uh thank God you're here okay and uh, and on the hollowloman as well and we'd, we'd started just talking about bikes uh, whilst I was backstage, I should have been paying attention to what I was doing on the show, but we'd always been talking. No, seriously. There was one time we were literally talking about motorcycles and Shane Bourne had introduced me for, and oh, please make him welcome, Merrick Watts. And I, I was out the back. I wasn't even, like, he's meant to be standing where the door is. So I ran. I just, he's got Merrick, Merrick. And I ran and I made it look like it was part of the bit, but really I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, um, yeah, James and I um, had this discussion about uh, the, about motorcycles and about posty bikes and modifications. And there was lots of people, you know, like Deus, obviously, by that stage had been making bikes and they were converting like SR400s and things like that. But the the premise for us was rather than trying to uh, have a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, we said, you know, let's put a sheep in wolf's clothing. I love it. <laughs> so what we did is we got a really piss bike and then made it look a lot more dangerous than it was, yep. and it was it was kind of it was a, a really fantastic journey and a great thing that we were doing. But you know, it was making no money, money. <laughs> <laughs> so little money. I think one bike we made a hundred bucks, and we were rat. And we just gone. <laughs> We've spent a lot of time on this motorcycle. <laughs> this is a terrible business plan. So we stopped making them. But we made probably about. Uh, I think probably about half a dozen. And I regret there was one, I regret two things. There's one uh, called Dear John where they gave all different names. And it was an an army green that had knobby tires and stuff like that. And it was great. One of the guys from Two Wheels borrowed it from me for uh, a test ride. And, uh, didn't want to give it back. And I said, are you serious? He goes, mate, I love this bike because we stripped out a lot of the weight. They were very, very light. We, yep. you know, we had just a kickstand as opposed to um, a prop-up stand. And they were really good. So you could pick them up and carry them. I literally used to carry it upstairs. He didn't want to return it. I love that. That was my favorite one was this one. It was Army Green. And it wasn't like an Army Green, like, you know, MASH Green or
0: an,
1: an, yep. an Australian Army Green. I went through an old catalog and I found a Russian tank green that I like.
0: like a drab kind of yeah. green or something. Yeah, okay, yeah.
1: Because I didn't want it to be army green. I said, it's got, to, it's got to look a little bit different. It's got to be a different type. So we found it and then we had customised brooks, leather seats and saddlebags and stuff like that. So like I said, we ended up going, you sell it and you go, that's $100 we've just made there. And I, I, we sold that one. And that was the one where I went, oh, that was my favourite. Should have kept it. Yeah. Mm. And then I saw it for sale at maybe the start of this year I saw it for sale on the side of the road and I thought, I should buy that. And then I went, If I come back home <laughs> with a bike that I've already owned, somebody in my household that's not me is gonna ask me why. Why? Mm. So I went, ooh, I was tempted and I went, no, I don't think I will. But no, oh, great, fine.
0: I love the notion of it because effectively what you did was take the humble postie, mm-hmm. uh, make them cafe racer spec. Mm-hmm. The, the fact that you lightened uh, or took a lot of weight out of it. Mm. Because I think they came out with, it was like 7.5 horsepower, 6 kilowatt or something. They were really underpowered. That probably yeah. made quite a difference by lightning. it, it did. did
1: it? It did, actually, because we were able to strip out quite a lot of weight. And it mm. actually did. It increased performance and increased speed. And we put on, you know, put on uh carby, better carby, clean yeah. up the carbies, put on pods. Um, so, yeah. Pipes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you know what? We did actually, uh, we changed pipes on one or two of them, but we didn't do it universally on it because the pipes were actually quite good. You know, they had that um, stainless steel yes. cover over uh, the pipe. Um, so we didn't we didn't kind of hatch it the hell out of them, um, but we just, you know, put on, you know, things like, you know, new mirrors because the, the mirrors on the posty bikes were naff mm. and just stripped out, uh, uh, you know, at the back of the, of the um the bike, of course, had uh, well, to, to carry the, the yeah, sacks yeah, for yeah. The, the the stripped off that a lot of the time. We yeah. just put on a single lightweight seat. Some of them are really, really light. So we could strip out 20, 30 kilos. Oh, I reckon wow. mm. get it down. I think one of the bikes weighed about 90, 95 kilos. So it was it was weighing less than me. Wow, that just shows how fat I was. Um, <laughs> and it was uh, and they they were good like that. And now I see. Commonly, I've seen poster bikes that have been done yep. similar to ours. Not, and to be honest, not quite as good, but they were, they were similar to, to the way we made them. And I look at them and I go, hey, is that one of ours? Because I have seen mm. a couple of, uh, of uh, poster bikes that we made um, floating around. And I go, is that one of ours? And then I go, no, nah, it's
0: not. What do you reckon the thing uh, about them is, or the fascination with them is, because I had one until about. November twenty seventeen, and I got rid of it. Not, not, it wasn't modified like yours. It was absolutely standard. Did you buy it ex posty or did ex- you, buy Honda, or you buy the new ones? No, nah, it, it was a twenty eleven model. Honda Australia helped me source it, and it had been yeah. used as a proper postie, yeah, yeah. and they got it from Australia Post.
1: Yeah, because they're better. Posty bikes are a modified motorcycle. Hmm. They're not the CT110. So you can get a posty bike, a CT110. You can, I don't know if you still can, but you can purchase those from Honda. Hmm. Um, But they're they're not um, as robust as the posty bikes. So I can't remember what the main specifications were, but I think it was the forks, Mm -hmm. the front forks particularly, um, and a few other modifications were made to be a little bit harder because they had to mount curbs. So the poster bikes would be able to hit gutters, mount curbs, be, be a bit durable. more robust. Yes. Mm, mm. So um, I think the the ones you could buy from Honda direct. Might have been a bit lighter, okay, and might have been, uh, but might not have been quite as robust mm. as the ones that were made for Australia
0: Post. So they were a different bike. So you liked them, and then you went off and, and built a few of these. My my buddy Lee Diffie, who commentated the V8s here for a few years, mm. and now works on IndyCar in the states. He took his with him to America. Oh, they're huge there. Grant Grant Denyer, who I'm yep. I'm about to talk to, he he's fully restored one Candy Apple Red. I think it's got eight bars on it. I mean, yep. what is the thing with the Posty bike? Why Posty bikes? I think it's because they're iconic,
1: Mm. because only posties had them, you know, and and then the public got access to them. So it was something that you couldn't access that you essentially denied access to, and then all of a sudden we were able to get them Mm. and we're able to ride them. Mm. And now hipsters have made them look cool, and you know they're trying to, you know, they they. I think a lot of hipsters actually like to leave them. Raw and you know put like a milk crate on the back and you know try to keep them you know as true to form as as they were. But um, I think that the the appeal of them is the fact that a lot of Australians used to get their post delivered to them. One of
0: oh, those things, yeah. I mean, great irony. I don't it?
1: even know. Does the post service even exist anymore? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> a guy in a van comes to my house and he has got courier's please written on his shirt and he gives me a box and he says, your missus has just spent 500 bucks. And I go, can you, when you come back, can you punch me in the face? And he goes, no, I'm not allowed to do that.
0: Great irony that hardly any power, drum brakes, step through semi order. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just, just, I can't understand it, but we love them. We do love them. Right, let's get to a couple of key things here. Grail car is something I ask about in this series. If if Georgie was cool with it, if you had unlimited budget, mm-hmm. what what would you have to – because, I mean, clearly you would like a little something back in the garage now. What would you get if you could?
1: Money, no object Aston Martin. That is the king of cars. Oh, I just think – Have you driven one? Even a press car or something nah. like that? No? No. Nah. Well, who would let me? <laughs> But if you, if you've got one you'd like me to drive it, I'll, I would I will do that for <laughs> well, you. As please a email me it. <laughs> I mean I love the Vanquishers. I love I love for me Aston Martin is mm. is the perfect combination of style and class mm. with brute muscle. Yep, and it throws back to those days of like you know uh, pre Shelby Cobra yep. when the Brits were you know making really good. Um, and aggressive sports cars, and then that kind of the American muscle that came with the Cobras mm. um, was applied to those British stylings. But it had the you know that dirty big Ford V8 motor in it, mm. put into a, a British style um, wheeler. And I think that with Aston Martin, there is that kind of sense of beautiful, understated styling with like. Brute force underneath, underneath, oh, mm. oh, and you know the sound and the pipes, and you just go. That car can do everything that it looks like it could do, mm. and I like that. I really like Maseratis for the same reason. Whereas I, I don't, I don't look at Lamborghinis and think oh, oh, that's my that's my car. I don't look at Ferraris and think that's that's my car. And McLarens, I don't look at them and think that's my car. You know those um, those cars. I've driven an Aventador, and that was an amazing experience. But I would never own one. Okay, I, I wouldn't feel. I wouldn't feel right, and it's just not me. Mm. But uh, I could, see, I could see. You know, I can't. It's not going to happen. But um, if, if money was no object, I'd drive an Aston Martin. I just think that's stunning.
0: Classic car that you would love SLR five thousand. Yeah,
1: SLR five thousand without a doubt. That's probably more likely. That's got that's got Merrick Watts midlife crisis written all over it. <laughs> Black and white, Torana SLR five thousand
0: drop tank. There we go. My, my old boss at Channel 10 had one, and he tracked back some of the history on it, and they, they had found out that it was a test mule used by Colin Bond in the Holden dealer team days. that had done uh-huh. a bit of rallying and things like that, and he yeah. had, he had uh, Gary Rogers, who runs a supercar's team, help restore it and things. I mean, amazing. I mean, they're, they're an amazing car, mate, aren't they? Big, big. Yeah. Big power and just yeah. brute-looking, bossy machine.
1: The thing I like them. I mean, you look at Monaros, particularly like like HRS. Uh, I love uh, and HQs for me started to the styling changed a bit, but those some of those earlier Monaros, um, I I think they look absolutely brutal. I right. love the looking, particularly when they're in gunmetal and you know they they they're a good-looking car. But there's something particularly unclassy. About the SLR 5000 that I like, it's not just brutal, it's bogan. It's real bogan. (laughs) It's not even a bit bogan. There's no class to it. Even an A9X has still got a bit of class to it. Yeah. SLR 5000 just says speed dealer, doesn't Uh, it? uh, Just uh, Just says the person who drives this car, as at some stage, has driven drugs around. It's a drug, it's a drug meal. This car has done, this car has been involved in a police pursuit. It's, it's, it's transited drugs. It's done something horrible. It's, it's got a really kind of nefarious kind of feel to it. And I, Mm. I, I just, I just think that's cool. I think it's a funny thing.
0: Hence the reason for some of your hashtags on Instagram, cashed up bogan and kid alt. I think is you, that's you yeah, do too, isn't it? Cashed
1: up bogan. So I said, don't give. That's why I say to people, don't give bogans like me money. That's what we do. We get drunk and we go and buy Layland P seventy sixes on Gumtree. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Motorbikes. Oh, what,
0: what? What drives you mad on the road? I mean, you're a very aware motorcyclist, and, and mm. uh, what what habits on the road drive you mad? What
1: people who can't merge. Adelaide, I'm looking at you. You cannot merge. (laughs) Don't stop. You merge. The whole point of merging is if it was a a stop, you'd have a stop sign. But you don't because it's a merge. So just move into the lane. One for one. Just merge. Um, Also, too, the one thing that irritates me in Sydney that doesn't irritate me as much in Melbourne, Melbourne's got it because of hook turns, is that you can go out into an intersection in a green light mm. and you're turning right. You can go right out into that intersection. You can get two, sometimes three cars in that intersection. And then when the lights change, all of you can turn right. But in Sydney this go, just one car! Just one That's car. True. I don't want to commit, I don't wanna go over the line. Go forward. We're all going to turn right. We can get three cars in this light. In this phase, we will all be able to get around if you just move forward a little bit. But no, I'm too passive. I'm scared I'll get caught in the intersection. Whereas people in Melbourne, because they're used to hook turns Confident. where you go right out yeah. and then you turn a really hard right. Um, so those those two definitely.
0: You talked about taking uh, the tech away from the kids when you go on these excellent road trips. Are you a podcast guy? Are you a music guy? What do you listen to when you drive?
1: Recently, I listened to a few podcasts, uh, a bit of music, and I do like silence. Yeah? Yeah. I think it's one of the few times- The engine, the environment, yep. just take it all in. Yep. I think it's one of the few times now where, you know, it maybe years ago it would have driven you mad, but now we're so inundated with information, whether it be audible or visual, that w- we can't escape from it, and it, it's it's a good time to just look and think. Huh. So sometimes when I'm driving for long periods of time, I will just have complete silence for a couple of hours until I get very bored of my own company, <laughs> and then I'll, I'll just try to put on some music or a podcast or something like that. But yeah, I do. And when I'm when I'm motorbike riding, I, I, I never listen to music unless I'm unless I've got a big. You know, like a three-hour stint on on a, a highway, I've got to get through. Hmm. Um, then I'll listen to some headphones or something like that through my helmet. But um, otherwise, never. I just put ear. I put actually when I'm riding motorbikes, I put um, ear earplugs, earplugs in. So do I. So do I.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Because it just and it just cuts it out. You can still feel everything, still hear everything, hmm. but it you know just cuts out some of that wind noise. And I just find actually for me, I just get a, a better level of concentration.
0: Hmm. How many K's would you do a year? Do you reckon?
1: About (laughs) 10, about 10, 10 and a half. Idiot, I'm an idiot. I haven't done done a big road trip on my motorbike for a while, but I'm due for one, so I'm going to be in touch with my cousin and hopefully we'll get down the Alpine way.
0: A final one for you. You talked about little 15 kilometre an hour, you know, shunt spills Mm -hmm. and things like that. A little bit of YouTube gold. I, I once attempted very poorly to race a car at Winton in in Northern Victoria, and mm. the steering wheel came off, mate. And my colleagues have never let me forget it. Thankfully, it didn't crash. It was at was Winton. At Winton, I came off on the final turn, and it went off on oh, the infield. Mate, I could have. You could have gone anywhere. <laughs> and to heaven's one of those places s- you could have gone. Scaife, Crompton, all those guys—they were wailing when they saw this. Uh, when they saw this vision, has there been an embarrassing motoring moment? For Merrick Watts, oh,
1: I've had I've had a similar circumstance where I was, um, <laughs> I've had a couple uh, actually, strangely in the same not the same car, but the same maker car, both Ford XBs, and uh, I was driving my mate's XB once, and the um, accelerator pedal just fell off. Just as, I, just as I was driving, it just fell off. Just was gone. It was there and then it just fell off. And I was just trying to then drive a car with just the nub, just trying to get that little nub there. And it was like, it was just, that was a very interesting, and I was, I'd was i only had my licence for about three weeks and I was driving a car with the pedal had just come off. But um, another time, uh, uh, um, uh, Blake, a young bloke, lived across the road. He had an XB and... Uh, he was having some trouble with it and, uh, he couldn't get it started. And I said, "I, oh, I can't remember what we did to it, but I remember I flooded the carby with a bit of fuel. Oh, there's another story again. <laughs> there's another XB story. Wow. There's three of them. Um, so here, all right. Anyway, so I put a bit of, put a bit of fuel down the neck of the carby, turned it over. it going. No drums at all. It's all right. So we take down the ride and we lived at the top of a big hill and we went down and, uh, I went, all right, no dramas here. As we're driving down, it's stalled again. It's conked out. So I don't know what the problem was. Power-assisted braking.
0: Oh, no. (laughs) No. Downhill in the heaviest car
1: (laughs) man has ever made into a massive, really tight right-hander. And at the bottom of it is a girls' school uh, where I lived. There's a girls' school. They've all just come out of school and there's just people – everywhere and I was literally just driving this boat down the hill thinking with no power-assisted brakes, just going, if I don't get – and power steering. Yeah. So all all the power's gone, power-assisted braking, power-assisted steering's gone. I thought, if I don't get this around the corner, this is going to be – on the news. <laughs> this is going to be on the news. Whatever happened to Merrick Watts? And <laughs> I'm, just, and I'm just, driving, just trying to restart it, just trying to restart it, just trying to restart it. And just as I got to the bottom, just got it around and just peeled it around the corner. Oh. And, I went, oh. and I went, oh, I think you should call a mechanic. That's what you should do. So that was, that was another time. Another time. All right, here we go. So Ross and I owned the car from two hands. Yes. It's well known. A lot of people know that. It's um, an XA. Anyway, it's a similar vehicle. Uh, and... It ran out of fuel at the lights in Piemont. And um oh, and, oh that's right, I've got a Jerry Can in the boot of the car. I'm not an idiot. So what I'll do is I'll just uh, run out of fuel. I don't know why to run out of fuel, but i run out of fuel. So I just uh, topped up the uh, topped up the car and went, there's enough fuel in there. We'll be right. right, five litres. That'll get me to a servo, no problems. I'll just put a little bit down the neck so it starts first go because that's what we want to do, you know. Put a little bit. I don't know why. So <laughs> I've taken the filter off the top, poured a little bit down the neck of the carby and uh, got back in the car, started, bang, car on fire. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Poured too much down, kind of sprayed a little bit and ignited whole car and people are driving past, this is right where I worked, people driving past going, why is your car on fire Merrick? I go, I don't know. How about helping me put it out? <laughs> Fortunately, I also had a fire extinguisher on, yeah. on site and I just went, shh, 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 put the fire out and we're all right. And then how do you reckon I restarted it again?
0: More fuel down More the fuel car. Down <laughs>
1: not an idiot (laughs) but I am clearly so there you go so I've had three instances with three very very similar cars and no one has been hurt so what does that say it says I'm excellent at driving
0: good result good result mate it's been fantastic to talk to you and have a a great laugh about some good stuff that you're clearly passionate about you're doing some awesome things around wineries with stand up with colleagues and things yeah we don't need to plug
1: that no. no, no, But we wish
0: you continued success with that thanks for for chatting that That was a
1: pretty solid hand slap it was
0: (laughs) pretty solid well done thank you Rusty's Garage is recorded for podcast one written and presented by me, Greg Rust. Series producer and editor is Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And our sat-nav voice is Alana Burns. If there's someone you want me to talk to on Rusty's Garage, get in touch on the show page at podcast1.com.au. Listen to all the episodes of Rusty's Garage at podcast1.com.au via the Podcast One app or find us on iTunes. I'm Greg Rust. Enjoy the drive, but drive safely.